Lizzie Borden took an axe. I gave her daddy four to wax. Weren't you saw what she had done? I gave her mother 41. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, important announcement from McK McKenzie. Winter dranks back at Starves, folks. <laughs> Get those peppermint mochas. You know she is in that line right now. Oh, currently. <laughs> currently in the line. Shopping it's crazy for how, pajamas. It's crazy how she could have Zoom on her phone. <laughs> wow. Anyway... Um, so welcome back. I think I'm going to put up a, a poll in the, oh, oh, hold up. Last episode, if you heard that thump, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everyone's hands are raised. It is at, I think it's at, um, 34 seconds or th th 34 minutes and like 40 seconds. Go back, put some headphones on, turn it up and you will hear it. And it is I don't know what it was, so no. Shannon's new house is haunted, so. Pro I mean, uh, yeah, probably. I don't. I I don't know anymore. <laughs> anyway, welcome back. Welcome back. I'm trying to get Troy to uh, buy some footy pajamas for Quinmas. <laughs> if you don't know what Quinmas is, it is a tradition in the Quinn family when Troy comes to stay with my family for a few days during Christmas and we just call it Quinmas and we make cookies and watch horrible films and drink um, a large quantity of Kraken. And all, all four of the Quinn sisters are reunited once a year. <laughs> all four of the Quinn sisters. It's like a, it's like a special ceremony. <laughs> but this year we're going to have footy pajamas I will die on this hill we are having footy pajamas okay then order them <laughs> <laughs> so we're in Massachusetts yeah I think you know this case I do You were even this one is really close to my heart <laughs> because I was in the pit during the musical yeah, in Are ways in completely. E Actually, you know what? I was not in the pit for this one. I thought you were in it. Mm-mm. Odd. No, I was in Sweeney and um, Twelfth Night. <laughs> oh, my God. I was in the pit for Twelfth Night. Um. I feel like I maybe was going to be in the pit for the Broadway extravaganza, maybe. Oh. Was there a pit for that or was that just the Rip to China? I can't remember. <laughs> so my freshman year of call or sophomore year of college, we were supposed to go to China for some reason to do like a, a bunch performance. of performance. Yeah, a bunch of like little Broadway shows and then something happened and that didn't happen anymore. So we just did the same thing for uh, the university, and it was something else. She completely brushed over the fact that <laughs> we sent in a, like, recorded video to show them, like, <laughs> what the production was like. And they said, oh, this isn't what we thought it was, and told us not to come. 
didn't everyone like already have like passports like yeah people we put a deposit down people were like ready to go maddie and i were so excited on this trip (laughs) (laughs) and they said oh never mind this isn't good enough (laughs) she said this isn't what we thought it was gonna be and i was like is it was that that's what wasn't wasn't that what happened yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was just being nice about it You know, I had to bring it up, but <laughs> anyway, back to Massachusetts. Um, back to Massachusetts. So yeah, so we will be doing Lizzie Borden, mm-hmm. which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm gonna be doing this in two parts. The first part will be the story of the murders itself, and then we're gonna pull a Velisca, and I'm gonna do the ghosty woasties in a different epi- episode. About three weeks later. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Um. Let's get started. Let's let's, let's rev those started. engines. <laughs> so I found this really awesome little um headline from the 1892. Oh my god. I okay. <laughs> and this is it's from the Fall River Herald. It says shocking crime. A venerable citizen and his aged wife hacked to pieces in their home. Mr. and Mrs. Borden lose their lives at the hands of a drunken farmhand. Police searching actively for the fiendish murderer. The community was terribly shocked this morning to hear that an aged man and his wife had fallen victims to the thirst of a murderer that had an atrocious deed had been committed. The news spread like wildfire and hundreds poured into Second Street. The deed was committed at number 62 second street where for years andrew j borden and his wife lived in happiness it is supposed that an axe was the instrument used as the bodies of as the bodies of the victims are hacked almost beyond recognition since the discovery of the deed the street in front of the house has been blocked by an anxious throng eagerly waiting for news of the awful tragedy and vowing vengeance on the assassin i love headlines and articles from the 1800s I think for one of our funny like episodes, we should just read head- headlines. Okay. Cool. Okay. That was the first thing that popped up when I looked this up and I was like, That's that is what I'm going to start with. <laughs> like, they just seem like so dramatic. Like, okay, let me take that I mean, back. getting hacked by an ass this was is terrible. kind of dramatic, but. The language they use is very dramatic. <laughs> Yeah. The event, though, definitely dramatic. So, I, yeah, like terrifying. I'm assuming it was a small town too. Um, or not really. I think so. During the time, it was. I mean, yeah, it was small. Everything was small. Yeah, but so anyway, it was probably like, like, oh, it went like worldwide. I believe or at it. least nationally wide. So. Lizzie Borden was born July 19th, 1860 to Andra and I was trying to say Andrew and Sarah, so I came up with Andra. That's their couple name, Morse. She also OTP. had an older sister, Emma, who was 11 years older than her. Uh, Sarah, her birth mom, died in March of 1863, Aww. and in 1865, her dad remarried a woman named a- a- Abby Gray. Um, the Bordens were a very well-off family, but Andrew, the dad, Mr. Borden, 
he was super frugal with his money um so much so that they did not have indoor plumbing uh they still used an outhouse they didn't have any electricity or anything like that and during this time he could definitely afford it uh because he was a multi-millionaire by today's standards so yeah he could afford a toilet um and he's a simple man huh he's a simple man oh yeah super simple um so he had an array of jobs throughout his life um from being a carpenter slash casket maker i don't know what a duo (laughs) i don't know to um a property developer turned textile mill owner turned president of a bank i don't know i mean that's that's uh that is quite the journey but like i respect the hustle skills yeah (laughs) and i also read something that he was so like uptight about his money that whenever he was making a casket for someone he would cut off their feet so that he could save a few bucks and make the casket smaller that's disgusting you don't need your feet in the afterlife i guess i guess (laughs) i don't know so the girls were active in their church uh the community and lizzie taught sunday school um, so I'm going to lay out who was there that day and kind of how the house is set up because it's important when you think about the murders, like how everything is like situated and how small the okay. house actually is. We will not be posting pictures of the blueprints on the Instagram. Before anyone asks. What the, where's my blueprint? Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe I'll find some blueprints and post them. <laughs> When you walk up to the house, you go in the door, the front door, and immediately um, there are some stairs. And from the stairs, you can see the top half of the guest bedroom. Um, And then immediately to your right, (laughs) (laughs) Um, something like that, Uh, the living room is there. And on the side of the living room, before you walk in, the couch is on the side. Um, and that will come in later and the house is very, very small, like I said, so you can hear everyone moving around and all that fun stuff. So being sneaky is not really practical. Um, so just keep, keep, keep that in mind and look up a picture of the blueprint. Cause I'm sure I didn't explain that well. Now, um, it's no surprise that the two Borden sisters were not too fond of their new stepmom. So they actually began to call her Mrs. Borden instead of mother. Oh God. Um, I'm not sure if that was like a stab at her, like for the time period. Like, I don't really know how that works. Um, I, maybe I don't think it was appropriate. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But Lizzie kind of started doing that a few years before the murders actually occurred. So the only people in the house the day of the murders are the following people. Andrew and Abby Borden, Lizzie, John Morse, who is Lizzie's uncle. It's her birth mother's brother and the Irish immigrant maid Bridget, whose name is actually Maggie, but the maid prior to her was named Bridget. So they just kept the name. <laughs> that's really messed up. I'm like, that's so mean. Yeah, that's <laughs> poor little Irish immigrant. She's like, my name's Maggie. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did you say, Bridget? <laughs> that's Bridget, so speak mean. up. That's so um so lizzie's sister emma was away visiting a family member allegedly so she was not present at this time 
The morning of August 4th, 1892, Andrew and John ate breakfast together. Lizzie did not join them, but that was a regular occurrence. She wouldn't eat with them. Right. Because she's bitter. I don't know. Um, and then the men went into the parlor and chatted a little bit, probably had some stuff, you know, chat. Um, and then John left around 8.50 to go visit someone on the other side of town. And Andrew left around um, 9 to go for his daily stroll and to stop at the bank and just do some, I don't know, rich people stuff. Man errands. Man errands. <laughs> so this left Abby, Lizzie, and maggie at home aka bridget can you say that again my thing froze oh yeah although it probably picked up fine on your side i think it did that's okay so this left abby lizzie and maggie aka bridget at home somewhere between 9 and 10 30 a.m abby went upstairs to clean the guest room where john was staying which was originally lizzie and emma's chore um, but she decided to do it for this day. I don't don't know. There's no reason why. I'm not sure. Um, and she also asked um, Maggie to go outside and wash her windows inside and out. And it was a super hot day. So keep that in mind too. So as Abby was making the bed around 9.30 a.m., someone came up behind her. She turned and faced whoever this was and then was hit on the side of the head with a hatchet just above her ear. This obviously made her turn and fall face down. Uh, she was then hit 17 times in the back of the head, uh, which was what ended up k- k- killing her, obviously. Um, Andrew returned home around 1030. And when he tried to open the door um, to get inside, he noticed it was locked. So he went to the front door. He tried to get in through, through, through the side. It was locked. Um, he's like, okay, that's weird. Cause like they're home. Okay. So he goes yeah. to the front door and that's locked too. And he's like, what is ha- happening? Um, so he, starts like knocking on the door and Bridget let him in Maggie aka um and then later on in the account of what happened um Maggie said that when she opened the door she heard Lizzie giggling at the top of the stairs which would have been after Abby was murdered and like I said before when you walk up the steps, like two steps, you can see the guest room and right. you could see her body. So that's disturbing. <laughs> just just putting it out there. Um, so Andrew Borden decided to take a nap in the living room. And during his nap, um, he was hit 10 times in the face with a sharp object, most likely an axe or a hatchet. He was unrecognizable. His eyes were gone. Oh my god! His face was non-existent. It, That's... it was. That's. And there are pictures of the crime scene. They're in black, black and white, so they're not. They're easier to look at. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's not. You can't. You can't even. You really can't tell see it as well. What's happening? Yeah. yeah. So around eleven ten, um, Bridget was woken up from her nap by Lizzie screaming, "Maggie, come quick! Father's dead. Someone came in and killed him." It was me. (laughs) So, of course, Bridget, like, runs downstairs, and she sees Lizzie kind of backed up against the wall looking into the living room, and that is where the body of Andrew Borden was slumped over on the couch. Obviously, he was dead, but Bridget ran to get the next-door neighbor who was um, a doctor, Dr. Bowen. 
And he did come in and confirm that he was dead. And he stated that he was killed around 11 a.m. since his blood had not started coagulating yet. So he mm. was still kind of oozing. The police obviously came right away because this doesn't happen in a small town. You don't get right, right. an axe murder in the middle of the day. So uh, the police came and they started asking questions. They first asked where Bridget was. And she said she was on the third floor taking a nap after doing some chores uh, because she did not feel well because, because of the heat. And they were all sick the day before with some sort of stomach issue. Um, so she's like, I was not feeling awesome. So I went to yeah. take a nap. They then asked Lizzie where she was during that time, and she said she was in the barn out back looking for iron. I don't know. At or some animal point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was out in the barn Sorry. playing Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> um, at some point, um, a family friend, Mrs. Churchill, came over to console Lizzie, um, at which point Lizzie said something along the lines of, quote, what about Mrs. Borden? I thought I heard her come home. Um, see Lizzie told the police prior, uh, that Mrs. Borden had not been home. Oh my uh, gosh. She had actually been sent a alleged letter about a sick friend and she went to allegedly visit the sick friend, Maggie and, um, Adelaide, what, which, who was Mrs. Churchill. They went upstairs and of course they found the body of Mrs. Abby Borden face down between the bed and the van vanity. As the police checked the rest of the house, they found a hatchet without the handle in the basement, but it did seem rather clean, um, which could be dismissed if the killer like wiped it off. Um, right. right off the bat, the police look at Lizzie because they're like, "Homegirl, like you're the you only the one bodies. that knows." And yeah, you're the only one that really knows anything about this. <laughs> um, and especially since, like I said before, the family um always kind of kept the home locked, um, unless someone was home all the, all the time and it would be really hard to break in and have no one notice because the house is yeah. so small and you can hear everything so that they're like and they're like ma'am it's gotta be you <laughs> um and then there was this whole like oh i was in the barn story which the police followed up on and they went to, to the barn looked in the loft and there was no footprints in 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 there or anything and it was the summer and it was, like I said, sweltering hot. So who would willingly willingly go up to a hayloft and hang out there? For a little bit. <laughs> In Victorian era clothing. You know, no, like she yeah. was wearing a dress. Like that's fucking hot. And on top of this, a day before the murders, Lizzie went to the pharmacy to see if she could purchase some prussic acid, which is really, really deadly. Um, and it was weird timing for that as well, but the pharmacy no, did not seriously. give it to her since she didn't have a prescription. And then also a day before the murders, the family got quote unquote sick with apparent food poisoning. Hmm. Hmm. And then <laughs> Lizzie was seen burning a dress three days oh after the mur murder because she quote got paint on it. <laughs> the police Just were get like, rid of the whole thing. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, she either said that and then later in the trial, they like kind of asked about that. And she also said that she was on her period and immediately the men were like, Oh, <laughs> we don't talk about that here. Oh my God. <laughs> like We don't know. Mm -mm. Okay, girl, you, you're, she's you're innocent. Queer. She's free. <laughs> Which is stupid, but whatever. Um, so uh, they decide to arrest her and they put her in jail. 
Um, her trial was set for June of 1893, and it was really dramatic <laughs> for the time period. Um, so during this time period, um, when someone died, they actually got the bodies ready for burial in the home. They would do like autopsy oh. in the dining room. Like it was like your house was your funeral home. So okay, they did the autopsy. They that. found no poison or anything in the stomachs. They're like, I don't know. Obviously, the cause of death was just from getting smacked in the head with objects um and <laughs> the prosecution went so far in this trial as to dig up their bodies they he took the heads off of them boiled them and used the skulls as evidence okay like, that is so dramatic um you can find pictures was... of the skulls on the internet and it's actually very inter interesting because you can actually see how awful mr borden was hit like just think of like phantom of the opera except like a hole in his head instead of the mask that's terrifying that's what it looked look like that's awful yeah so obviously when the prosecution like uncovered these skulls probably dramatically in the courtroom lizzie faints <laughs> <laughs> she's like out for the count the judge also said that Lizzie's testimony was inadmissible because she was given morphine at the time of the questioning to calm her down, which means that, you know, she was a little loopy. So yeah. who knows what she was really saying a little bit. You know what I mean? So um, the motives ranged for the prosecution from just pure hatred um, of the mother. And then obviously you can't like leave one without getting the other. So she was like, eh, got to do both. <sighs> And then there was a, another Yikes. one that like Lizzie and Maggie were in a relationship and. Oh, I've never heard that one. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. No, the theories are wild. So wild. And then uh, there was one like uh, abuse happening to the girls. Um, and then there was like this pigeon theory where um, Andrew Borden um, killed some in the barn and it pissed Lizzie off because she made a little roost for them and he killed them and then she got mad i don't really know um and then so <laughs> and Sorry. then there is um... the money theory which is the most believable one which is you know she was tired of not having running water <laughs> you know what? She was i think that's tired reasonable. of going to the bathroom in the outhouse she was tired of like lighting kerosene lamps like she was over it <laughs> Um, she said, "Pa, a I'm one? a rich girl. I need to live a rich girl life." So, the money theory, which makes the most sense to me. Um, so, in 1887, Andrew bought a piece of property for Abby's sister, which of course pissed off Lizzie and Emma because they were like, "Of we course, are living here in this house with no electricity or running water or toilets or bathtubs," and he just buys a house for him for, for like. Our stepmom's sister. Like, that's cool. <laughs> like, why? Pair that with the fact that Lizzie just didn't like her stepmom, and then she would get the inheritance of her father uh, where she could install running water and bam, mur murder. Makes sense to me. Um, me on June 20th, 1893, a jury acquitted Lizzie Borden of the murders. I don't know. 
all right that's all folks uh uh yeah they just they're like we didn't have enough evidence to like put her in you know that she wasn't covered in blood like there was no which is fair i think personally i think that she did the crimes naked which sounds really weird i know i know but think about the time period think about how hard it is to get those dresses on and off really quick what if she just wasn't wearing one I mean, she only had That's to clean. A good point. She only had to clean her hands and her face, and she maybe her feet, and then because <laughs> no, no one's gonna look up a lady's skirt. No. So she could be have blood in there. They just they didn't check her for blood ever. That's very interesting. So that's my theory: is she was naked and did it. After trial, of course, Lizzie got all that inheritance money, and she bought a big house. Um, in the hill neighborhood of Fall River, where all of her rich people friends lived. And <laughs> she decided she wanted to be called Lizbeth instead of Elizabeth. Um, and she called her abode Maplecroft. Uh, she died in 1927 from pneumonia. And then nine days later, her sister Emma also passed away. And fun fact, before Emma died, she told someone that while she was on the stand, she was just saying things to protect Lizzie. Oh my god. <laughs> I think I think Lizzie definitely had something to do with it. For sure. But whether or not she physically did it. So they have not like proven. No. They don't know who did it. It's an unsolved that, case. Oh, that's freaking crazy. I know. Isn't that weird? I think it also could have been her uncle John too maybe was help helped something it's wild bro i didn't realize that they never actually figured it out i no. also low-key forgot that that show was based off of real events and that this actually happened <laughs> yeah but like nothing was ever proven like there was no proven of abuse and stuff like i know like psychics will go in there and of course be like i'm picking up that she was abused and i'm like how can we yeah. trust you <laughs> yeah see okay i didn't really oh my goodness yeah so oh. that's kind of that whole thing and then there was there's another theory that emma emma and lizzie were in a relationship <laughs> i don't know I that's wild <laughs> So, like, the house was so small that every single room was connected. So you had to go. There was no hallway, like, at all. Like, it was so small. It was – it's tiny. Interesting. Um, Okay. So, like, you have to walk through different doors to get to different places. So, like, if I wanted to go to Lizzie's room, I would have to walk through the parents' room to get to her room. Oh, that's annoying. And she allegedly kept her door locked all the time. Maybe he didn't have an option. That's crazy. Okay, so Abby, is that the new mom's name? That's the stepmom's name, yeah. The stepmom's name. She was like, I want a divorce. I hate Oh, my God. Why are you always going for the... (laughs) I want a shower with running water. I want to go to the bathroom with running water. I can't do it anymore. He said, fine, then don't. And he said, oh, and he did it to himself. I sadist. 
Um, no. You asked me for my thoughts, okay, and that's okay, what they okay. are. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I take it back. I'm mostly kidding. I still think it's the pigeons, so. <laughs> <laughs> Those pigeons, they all got the axe. They all helped out. <laughs> like a freaking Disney movie. <laughs> it's like Snow White, but with an axe. Yikes. Yikes. No, but for real, that's I. Yikes. Lizzie Borden and the seven hatchets with pigeons. Wait. <laughs> Featuring pigeons. Featuring pigeons. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy though. Like, wow. And they probably like literally can't prove it. No, too, it's too late now. Which going back, I forgot. I wanted to ask. So you said they used like the skulls in the trial. Mm -hmm. Like, what was the point of going through digging those up? If like, how are they going to be helpful if they couldn't be like, here are the skulls without connecting the skulls back to her? Like, you're okay. There are the skulls. They wanted, I think they wanted the shock factor. Okay, that's they fair. wanted to get like, her digging to do them something. Up. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. Like, like let them be. Like, I hope they put them back. Yeah, like that's what. Like, how can you just dig up? A, I mean, I know it's like for law, and like it's for the court and like whatever. But like, how can you just dig a freaking grave up? And be like, I'm gonna take your head. I'm gonna borrow this for a minute. I'll bring it back. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. Eh, no, that but they it was definitely just for the back. shock factor. Yeah, because it's like that's so weird. Mm -hmm. That's so weird. And she just said, mm. her demeanor apparently the entire time was. Kind of, she was like non-emotional. Interesting. Okay. Except, I think during the courtroom, once like the trial started, I think maybe she was more like emotional. But before that, like she wasn't really not showing anything. Interesting. Yeah. Which I mean, um, a lot of like podcasts and like forensic people are are like everyone grieves differently, so we can't really go off that. Right. Because some people just like shut down and don't show motion right at which all. is yeah which is understandable I don't know. I don't know. yeah that's weird yeah so next episode i will do the ghosts and all that fun stuff so there she is i got a new phone and i ordered it and i forgot that i had to be here to uh sign for it oh, so now nice. it's at the U ups so somewhere in the ups store <laughs> Um, yeah, so, and then I'm giving Kenzie my old one, and you still owe her an iPhone case from four years ago. I do. Kenzie, email us a spooky story, and also tell me what kind of case you want. <laughs> if she does that and doesn't text us back, I will personally I think be if hilarious. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scarlet now it's time for 10 ridiculous victorian etiquette rules with troy the portion of the show when he will tell us 10 ridiculous etiquette victorian rules victorian etiquette rules <laughs> fuck <laughs> i did my best <laughs> all right number 10 fashion etiquette crinolines and corsets 
crinolines. I don't know, man. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Like, I literally like, don't oh, you, know. Oh, you really just don't know? <laughs> no, I have no idea. I know what corsets are. I don't know what this other one is. Ew, I could never wear um, a all day. Mm-mm. The Victorians firmly believed in it. This is from people.howstuffworks.com, by the way. <laughs> um, the Victorians firmly believed in the importance of wearing the appropriate clothing on every occasion. And while in the early part of the 19th century, women's dresses were fairly simple, by the age of the Victorians, the pendulum had swung back to favor elaborate, refined, and embellished attire. Like, these are, like... <laughs> Um, the average girl needed many styles of dress stashed in her closet, including dresses for balls, dinners, walks, and carriage rides. In addition to country attire, strict rules established how long one was to wear black when mourning a husband, father, sibling, and even in-laws. I do – I did – I think I knew that they had, like, dresses for literally everything. Like, any – anything. Yeah. Like, like, waking up in the morning and then you're – Daily stroll and then tea time. But the wagon <laughs> one is that's different. You're waking up gown. You are making your way downstairs, gown. I didn't think they had like a wagon, like a carriage ride. They dress. Must. Like, does that mean like I wonder if that is the same thing as like a going out dress? Like going out to like Maybe. the stores? Yeah, because I mean it's not it You're not would gonna have bring to be, another dress with like you, you, can wear you? I don't know. Yeah, you can't wear a dress in the carriage and then change in the carriage to go grocery shopping. And then when you get back in the carriage, you put that dress back on. But. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't there. If any of you were born in the 19th century, please let us know. Let us know if you had to um, quick change <laughs> in the carriage. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly, the most famously ridiculous item of a Victorian woman's wardrobe was the crinoline. Crinoline. I don't know if I don't know how it sounds. I'm really Crinoline. sorry. As a substitute for layers of heavy petticoats, these oh, those were the wide steel constructed dome cages that held oh my women's God. skirts like hoop skirt? away from them. Hoop skirts. Yeah, like those those cages. I thought that was more of like the 1850s. I thought that was like something that you, they only put in movies. <laughs> you didn't think they were real? So I didn't realize that those were like normal. Oh, I guess no, I never that was really a thing. thought about it. That's I mean, crazy. I think only for more um, established people. Like, I don't think the common folk wore them. That's fair. But I do know the rich people, like a steel cage. Could you imagine? What have you freaking run into That's something so, with that thing? It. It said That's dangerous. such devices. It said such devices made it easy to use the chamber pot, perhaps, but maneuvering in small spaces became a challenge. Hmm. Well, yeah, because it doesn't move. Like you can't squeeze anywhere because it's literally a steel cage. Literally, it also says, "Oh, women also had to relearn how to sit elegantly." From the sun the best way to sit down with elegance is to sit graciously. Alexa. Thank you, Alexa. <laughs> Could you hear that? Yeah. Do you mean sit with the hoop skirt or just sit? Yeah, in like general? while they were wearing it, while they were wearing it, they had How to do like you sit. I don't know, man. Can someone please explain this to me? Because I'm really confused on how a metal <laughs> cage is going to allow me to sit. Let us know. <laughs> 
Um, we have street etiquette, introduction etiquette, calling card etiquette. That's like in Bridgerton. <gasps> um, visiting etiquette. Dinner party etiquette. Can't believe court all etiquette. Presentation oh. to the queen. Oh, that's what they mean by court. Okay. I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> and then courtship etiquette. Ooh, that's whenever you're getting all your um, what do they call it? Your suiters. Oh. You're getting your suiters. They come, they bring you flowers and biscuits. <laughs> Ballroom you have to lie etiquette. and say that they're very handsome when they're probably very no, old. Literally. Engagement etiquette. Okay, we should do that one. Tell me more, tell me more. Did <laughs> they get very far? Not in that freaking cage dress <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> um, according to Cassell's, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I wonder if that was like a like a column or like a ooh. magazine or something. Ooh, um, I hope but, so. Ooh. Um, but when a gentleman wishes to propose, he first, quote, ascertains the state of a lady's feelings towards himself before he makes a positive declaration of his love. How sweet. So you have to, to make ask sure for that, her like, permission first. They like you? Yeah. <laughs> uh. He then had to seek out the blessing from the lady's father before the engagement was official. If there was some holdup to their being formally engaged, for instance, the young lady had a fortune that needed to be put in some sort of trust. Because she can't just have her own money, of course. Um, the couple had to suspend communication and, quote, live towards each other as perfect strangers for the time. <laughs> oh, my God. Ideally, she would pay a visit to distant friends while all this was being sorted out. They said, don't even be in the same area as him. Honey, get out of here until you can get married. Um, even if there was no fortune to worry about, it was expected that the man as the breadwinner would in ensure his life and make his future wife the beneficiary. Once an engagement was official, if one party chose to break it, the other would sue for damages. <laughs> Assuming it all worked out... <laughs> Assuming it all worked out, engaged people had to behave themselves before the happy event. The lady still needed chaperones with her as she was never to go out alone with her fiancé. Furthermore, oh. the couple mustn't retreat from a group to whisper together or do anything to, quote, excite smiles and comments, end quote, from others. Cassell's so they, unequivocally they can't act like they like each other? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> Cassell's unequivocally declares that such quote absurd behavior is a violation of propriety indeed <gasps> it was considered quote excessively vulgar end quote for an engaged woman to clasp her hand on her fiance's arm 12 months was the recommended engagement period according to Cassell's and noted people who think a long engagement period can help them to know their betrothed better are quote, just as liable to be deceived as those who marry after a hasty courtship. I mean, uh, gotta get to know the dude. Period. All right, court etiquette. Presentation to the queen. When a girl was presented at court in the eyes of the Victorians, she transformed from being underage and off limits to suddenly being marriageable. She transformed <laughs> from a pumpkin into a carriage. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> 
Young ladies were presented several times a year in St. James Palace, but they weren't the only ones who had to make an entrance. Young men were also presented several times a year in levees hosted either by the Queen or the Prince of Wales. Strict. No, literally. Um, strict rules outlined the costume for presentation at court. Men wore knee breeches and buckle shoes and wielded a sword. Ladies had to wear feathers in their hair high enough for the queen to see. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and the train on their dress needed to measure three yards exactly. Um, and all. <laughs> And although the Victorians had a reputation for modesty, the required dress for her presentation left a lady's neck and much of her shoulders bare. <gasps> that is really interesting, actually. I know. So that for that, think of Bridgerton, except with hoops. No, yeah, no, literally. Ladies had to carry their trains on their left arm while waiting in the palace for their presentations. Several lords in waiting were at at hand to lay out a lady's train and pass along her card to announce her to Queen Victoria. After entering, she kissed the queen's hand, parentheses, or the queen kissed her forehead if she were a peeress or daughter of a peer. Okay. What? <laughs> she, I don't know. She, <laughs> I don't know, man. She then needed to wait for a page to place her train on her left arm again before she somehow managed to elegantly exit the room without turning her back to the queen. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're not supposed to do, do, do that. That's a big no-no. I would forget, and, young and men's... I would be, like, turning around in a circle. Oh, period. I would be the page, and <laughs> you would be the girl that forgot to turn, her, or to not turn her back to the queen, and we're both just, like, shot on sight. Anyways. We're, we're done. We're stabbed. Back to the young men. With the, with the sword. <laughs> yeah. With the sword, yeah. The young men's presentation was similar. A man, once announced, would bend down on one knee and hold out his right hand to the queen. The queen would lay her hand on his, and he would kiss it. Now, after being presented Ooh. at court, young Victorians could finally get down to business the business of finding and a mate. The Huns. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was really on Queen Victoria's mind. Being a lady, I wonder if guys had other had to learn other things. Probably. That's for another time. You can do the guys one so. for the ghost one. Dinner party etiquette. The Victorian dinner party was a minefield of potential social missteps. Yeah. First, guests were required to... <laughs> oh, no. You are so delayed. Oh. Like, I'm, like, reading, and then, like, I hear your reaction, like, two or three seconds after I say something. <laughs> Oh, like when you just screamed into the microphone, I literally <laughs> jumped because I wasn't ex I wasn't I wasn't expecting anything. <laughs> um, first, guests were required to arrive fifteen minutes late. What? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> After gathering in the drawing room for a short time, a servant would announce dinner to be ready, and the party would enter the dining room. I'm the servant. I'm the 15 minutes late. But this simple event of moving to the dining room was actually a ceremonious one for the Victorians. It was a carefully planned procession of couples beginning with the most honored guests. 
the hostess would have to organize the order of the procession, making sure not to offend anyone. It could get complicated when one's guests included single people or widows and widowers because this necessitated deciding whom to couple together. Oof, awkward. Getting the procession... Yeah, no, literally. Getting the procession wrong could create tension for what was sure to be a long night. The meal itself was usually around 10 courses not counting dessert why wasn't i born in this era i know i'm ticked <laughs> 10 courses i wonder count. if they were like really small though you don't know what i mean maybe it doesn't say what are you gonna eat? um what how many what okay literally continue. iceberg lettuce salad romaine lettuce salad palate cleanser with a little piece of chicken and so on and so forth. I'm just being annoying right now. Um, oh, I thought that was actually what they wrote down. <laughs> oh, no. That was just me being <laughs> sarcastic about <laughs> not counting dessert. That might account for the late arrival time to give the host time to prepare. If you know you're having a dinner party that's having 10 courses, maybe start earlier. This must have been like an all-night thing. It had to have been. Like, um, there's, during there's the meal, no I... that's... Uh, I'm interested, though. I want to know more. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. Um, Yeah. During the meal, as guests waited for the footman to serve the food, a gentleman was to converse with the lady to his right. Not the left, fellas. To your right. But after dessert, the night wasn't over. Ladies retreated to the drawing room to chat and drink coffee or tea, allowing the gentleman to smoke and possibly engage in ribald conversation <laughs> i didn't know where that was going i was like oh my god <laughs> no it wasn't bad i was just trying to figure out how i should pronounce this word <laughs> ribald ribald r-i-b-a-l-d oh it's exactly what you thought it was it means body which is in itself not helpful. But then this other one says, referring to sexual matters in an amusingly coarse or irreverent way. Okay, so they so said, like, ladies. Guys now. Yeah. Ladies, go drink your tea while the horny boys talk about horny boy things <laughs> on the veranda. <laughs> oh my God. That was interesting, though, actually. I, en I enjoyed those. They were. I want to know for the next hoping. one, you'll have to bring up the guys what the guys did we hope you guys enjoyed this episode um please be sure to like share and subscribe email us your spooky stories at murderrt at gmail.com follow us on instagram at murder road trip pod find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast whether that is uh, amazon music apple podcast spotify uh anchor whatever just let us know if we're not on it we'll get on it we will get there for you. All right, folks. Join us All next right. week when we back in Massachusetts. Shani's going to share some ghosties with us. Ghosty ghosty stars. All right. Anyways, bye.